Hello and welcome to the May edition of the Amy and Flo Talking Magazine show. I'm Amy. And I'm Flo. Hello everyone. Really good to, to be here in May, isn't it? Isn't the weather lovely? The weather is nice. Now it is bright and blue, but there was rain down Larn. There was a little bit of rain here as well, and it is cold. Yeah, it's very deceiving. You could look at the lovely blue sky and the lovely blue sea, but just don't go swimming in your bikini. <laughs> now, well, it's funny you should mention that. I do have a little bit about wild water swimming really? coming up later on. <laughs> Synchronicity again. <laughs> again, there we go. Okay, Amy, what sort of interesting things have we got today on our show? Coming up, I have a number of animals being stolen, and I have some wildlife stories, and I have a farmer with a, a very um, boring diet. <laughs> well, I had some wildlife stories too about birds that are have come back from the brink. Uh, but I've also got the diabolical quiz. Of course. And I've got uh, some little news about line of duty. Uh, last month we had a knitter for the mm -hmm. RNIB. Yep. And this time we've got a knitter who is knitting figurines of Line of Duty stars <laughs> oh, and is selling them for auction. I look forward to that. Okay. I am not looking forward, however, to this. This is our May Day quiz. Okay. Let's see how you do. This is a very sort of Gallic question, this one. Okay. What is the alternative name for May Day? Is it A, Beltane, B, Samhain, or is it C, Lunasa? What's the alternative name for May Day? Is it A, Beltane, B, Samhain, or C, Lunasa? Okay, that's number one. Okay. Those are all famous sort of uh, Gallic They're festivals. Celtic. Like They're Celtic, Celtic aren't they? Yeah. Now, which famous horse race is held in May? A, Royal Ascot. B, the Kentucky, Kentucky Derby, or C, the Dubai World Cup. Which famous horse race is held in May? A, Royal Ascot, B, the Kentucky Derby, or C, the Dubai World Cup. Now, recently you had some luck in the uh, <laughs> Grand Nationals, so you know that's not one of them. In Old English, May was called what? In Old English, May was called what? A, month of Maya, B, month of three milkings, or C, month of the lily. In Old English, May was called what? A, month of Maya, B, month of three milkings, or C, month of the lily. May is considered a bad and unlucky month to do what? A, plant roses. B. Apply for a new job or C. Get married. May is considered a bad and unlucky month to do what? A. Plant roses. B. Apply for a new job or C. Get married. Okay. How do you think you're doing so far? <laughs> There's going to be a few guesses, that's for sure. Well, last but not least, what famous piece was recovered on May the 7th, 1994? A, a diamond bracelet from the Titanic, B, the Gibson Stratifarius, or C, the Scream by Edward Monk. What famous piece was recovered on May the 7th, 1994? A diamond bracelet from the Titanic, the Gibson Stratifarius, or the Scream by Edward Monk. Okay. Okay, well, come back at the end of the show to, to hear my appalling answers and the actual truth of all of that. Okay. So, did I mention earlier that I had some, some animal theft? You did? I did. Okay, so this story from an online a website called The Vintage News. The Vintage News has really weird, um, strange stories that you don't hear anywhere else. 
uh, and I, I've got a couple of them set aside here um, to read. But this first one, they've headlined, What's up, Doc? The world's biggest rabbit stolen. Police in the Worcestershire, England... Let me start again. Police in Worcestershire, England, have issued a statement asking for information. This colossal companion, measuring an incredible four foot in length, hasn't been seen since the night of Saturday the 10th of April. Thieves accessed the garden of owner Annette Edwards and took Darius from his enclosure. Edwards is offering a reward of approximately $1,400, it's an American website, to whoever returns the beloved bunny safe and sound. Darius is a Flemish giant, comparable in size to an eight-year-old child, as written by Live Science. They are a domesticated breed, the outlet notes, originally bred for meat and fur, beginning at least 300 years ago. The average size for a Flemish giant is two and a half foot, underlining Darius's special qualities. Live Science consulted Maryland Sue for info on the floppy-eared wonders. The honour of planet's biggest was awarded by Guinness in 2010. Such enormous achievements run in the family. BBC News mentions that Mother Alice also held the title. Edwards has reportedly owned four record-breaking rabbits in her time. Flemish giants are also recognisable for appearing in the original version of Teletubbies, broadcast on the BBC from 1997 from 2001. Speaking to the Huffington Post earlier this year, performer John Simmet revealed some X-rated facts about his fluffy-tailed co-stars. A tendency to do what rabbits do best led to disruption while filming the iconic series. HuffPost notes certain scenes had to be interrupted <laughs> and reshot to avoid any untoward humping. <laughs> Summit, who played Dipsy, says the Flemish giants were used as a way of changing the perspective and making us look small. Away from Fantasyland, Darius puts his rabbit's feet up in 2018. Perhaps he looked forward to a life of hanging out in the hutch and unlimited carrots. This recent drama has brought him back into the spotlight in an unexpected way. And while the crime was committed in Stoughton Village, accompanying publicity no doubt spread the message further afield. The Oxford Mail, based in a neighbouring county, speculate that Darius may be within their boundaries. The theft of a celebrity animal is certainly headline-grabbing. Behind the story, however, lies a lot of heartache, plus concerns over what is actually a serious trend of pet snatching. Dogs tend to be in the frame more than most. The much-reported case of Lady Gaga is an example. Earlier in the year, her friend Ryan Fisher was shot on the street in LA while walking her three French bulldogs. Fisher recovered and the pets were back with the star two days later. According to Sky News, Gaga had been offering $500,000 or £360,000 for their safe return. She also took to Instagram to write that she was praying for their safe return because her heart is sick. Fisher also received support from Gaga during this time. Last month, Country Life explored the rise in dog thefts, believed to be as a result of lockdown lifestyles. Increased demand means increased prices. Sadly, it was only a matter of time before criminal elements moved in on small and valuable family members. Country Life cites this statistic from the Dogs Trust, revealing an extraordinary 157% rise in beagle prices. In 2020, dog theft was up by 250% as calculated by the Dog Loss Charity. Most worrying is the status of animals in the first place. Country Life refers to the Theft Act 1968, where dogs are regard regarded as inanimate objects when stolen. Factors such as their sentience 
and role in family life don't matter under these appalling circumstances. Darius, the Flemish giant's impressive credentials, made him a target for abduction. Annette Edwards and admirers around the world hope this situation can be resolved as quickly as possible. Well, you know the way we, we do our synchronicity thing. Mm-hmm. You'll never believe it, but I have got a story from the Irish news concerning that rabbit. You do know <laughs> Yeah, but it's not it's not specifically, it's that rabbit, but it's a story around that, that particular incident where the rabbit was wow. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. I'll I look forward it. to that. I wasn't going to read okay. it, but I feel duty-bound to read it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now, we don't have any uh, female miscreants this month, do we, Amy? You know, I we don't have any bad I Bridgets. Don't, I don't think I have any miscreants except for the person that pinched that rabbit. Well, I always find one or two. And this was a man jailed over a rooftop standoff that lasted for hours. A man who damaged more than a dozen cars as he threw masonry at police from North Belfast rooftops has been jailed for 11 months. Colin McLenahan, 29, hurled shards of glass, tiles and chimney pieces ripped from houses on the Old Park Road during a standoff lasting hours. Prosecutors said distressed onlookers gasped and screamed as he jumped between the three-storey high properties. He eventually plunged to the ground after shouting he would die before being arrested. Well, that was certainly (laughs) on the books. Mm -hmm. Mr McLennan, with an address at the Donegal Road in Belfast, pleaded guilty to 24 offences in connection with the incident on September the 20th last year. They included criminal damage, assaults on police, disorderly behaviour and possessing an offensive weapon. The Belfast Magistrates Court heard officers went to the scene amid reports about an aggressive man. McLenaghan climbed out a back window onto the roof of a building shouting he was going to kill himself. A PSNI representative negotiator went to him to negotiate with him and he threw a shoe and spat at him. A prosecuting lawyer said the defendant then armed himself with tiles, smashed a window and targeted police with shards of glass. McLenaghan then scaled onto a higher roof, ripping off the gutters and the chimneys to throw at cars and officers below. He continued shouting and swearing and directing threats while running along back and forward across the rooftops, the prosecutor said. At one point, McLennan armed himself with two large nails, one in each clenched fist, (laughs) to make punching dagger gestures at the police. Ignoring the negotiators, he jumped from the roof and fell into a hedge, separating the houses. The district judge, George Connor, was told one of the targeted policemen suffered cuts to his arm. John O'Connor defending stress no other officer sustained physical injuries during what he described as a suicidal episode. Certainly was. He went up onto this roof in a pair of socks. It wasn't as though he has any big grip, he said. Hang on, hang on. Where did he get the shoe from that you threw? Oh, no. <laughs> he remained up there for a number of hours. Everybody was concerned that he would slip, fall and die due to his mental state. Mr. Connor said this is a very serious matter and a custodial sentence is the only option that the court has. So there you go. I wonder what the insurance companies in those houses say about <laughs> that particular yeah. thing. Oh, no, that's an act of... Um, God, vandalism, mental state, COVID, no, <laughs> and we're not paying. Don't know what they could, how they could possibly get away with that. <laughs> but something that was potentially a whole lot more serious: two children hospitalised after eating drugs that they found in the street. Two children have eaten drugs that they found on a Belfast street after mistaking them for sweets. The children, both aged under eight, were taken to hospital as a precaution. The pills were in a plastic sandwich bag, which the children discovered on Northumberland Street in West Belfast. 
DUP councillor uh, Nicola Verna told Belfast Live, this is a terrifying prospect and I wish the children and their families the very best as they handle the situation. Their parents must be completely shocked at what has happened. I understand the children were taken to hospital for treatment and I pray that they got there in time and the medical teams were able to help them before any serious damage was done to their small bodies. She asked all parents to be vigilant. We don't know at this stage what the drugs were. We don't know how they got to be on the ground, she said. They could have been separated by a family member from a pack to help an elderly relative. They could have been moved illicitly. We just don't know. What is clear is that two very young children have had their health and potentially their lives put at risk and that should never happen. And I can see that that could have had a really bad result and gladly did not. But um, to read my last little one here, impersonating police 15. He was arrested. <laughs> now, you know the way they say, yeah. oh, well, uh, as you get older, policemen begin to look, look younger. younger. Mm-hmm. Well, do they ever look as young as 15? A 15-year-old boy has been arrested on suspicion of impersonating a police officer and attempted fraud. Police said they became aware on Thursday that victims had been contacted by someone claiming to be an officer and were on their way to hand over money for scanning. The teenager was arrested in a car park in North Belfast on Thursday evening. And uh, the last little short bit here, unusual tomb. A highly unusual ancient tomb has been discovered on the Dingle Peninsula in County Kerry. The tomb was found by a farmer who was carrying out land reclamation work in recent days. It's dating back to the Bronze Age or even earlier and the tomb contained an unusual oval stone and what is believed to be a human bone. The archaeologists from the National Monuments Service and the National Museum of Ireland have visited the site to carry out the initial survey. Oh, that would be interesting to see what yeah. that turns out to be. Like, did you say a farmer found that, that yes, tomb? He yes, he was renovating his um, I can only hope that he, um, well, he, he clearly has more curiosity than the farmer in my next story. Uh, this is from the Guardian Experience series, and it's quite touching in a way, this this story, but I can just imagine what sort of an island. Curmudgeon he is. A quite, quite possibly a curmudgeon. So this, it's called, I've had the same supper for 10 years. <laughs> I have lived in the Teffy Valley in West Wales all my life, 72 years. I'm a farmer and I look after 71 sheep. My boyhood was spent helping my father, my family on the farm. I have never wanted to run away from it, even as a young lad. This valley is cut in the shape of my heart. I once visited a farm in England about 30 years ago, and that was the only time I left Wales. Many of the friends I grew up with left to find work in the big cities. As a young man, I was offered a job in Scotland on the oil rigs, but I could never leave. My heart belongs here with the birds and the trees. I knew if I left, I'd be thinking about my valley the whole time. So what would be the point? All I want is right here. I have a routine, just like nature. That extends to what I eat. I've had the same supper for 10 years, even on Christmas Day. Two pieces of fish, one big onion, an egg, baked beans and a few biscuits at the end. My husband would love that. (laughs) (laughs) Two pieces of fish, one big onion, an egg, baked beans and a few biscuits. For lunch, I have a pear, an orange and four sandwiches with paste. But I allow myself a bit more variety. I'll sometimes have soup if it's cold. I think that's if the weather is cold, not the soup. (laughs) When I go to the supermarket, I know exactly what I want. I'm not interested in other food. I've never had Chinese, Indian or French food. Why change? I've already found the food I love. It would be a job to alter me. 
My uncle, a bachelor and farmer like me, had the same food for every meal. He had bread, butter, cheese and tea for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Wow. Although we would bring out jam for visitors. (laughs) Whether it's Easter Day or Christmas Day, being a farmer means every day is the same. The animals still need to be fed. Feeding the sheep and seeing how happy they are makes me happy too. They never ask for anything different for supper. People might think I'm not experiencing new things, but I think the secret to a good life is to enjoy your work. I could never stay indoors and watch TV. I hear London is a place best avoided. I think living in a city would be terrible. People living on top of one another in great tar blocks. I could never do it. Walking around the farm fills me with wonder. What makes my life is working outside, only going in if the weather is bad. Autumn is my favourite time of the year with all the colours of the leaves. It's just beautiful. Cuckoos come here every April and I look forward to hearing them. A lot of people, locals and bird watchers, come here wanting to hear the cuckoo, but they don't stop long enough. Sometimes they don't even leave their cars. This makes me feel so sad that I actually cry a bit. It pains me that others don't get to enjoy it. I urge people to get out of their cars and walk up the road to hear the bird song. I've had several strokes. Once I didn't move for two weeks while I was in hospital, but my sheep helped me. I knew they were relying on me to get better. I need them as much as they need me. I have recovered now and am able to do all the jobs I usually do. I never got married and it's not something that I've ever regretted. It just didn't happen and I can say with confidence that I am happy as I am. I'm married to this farming life. I live with my sister. Like me, she has had a stroke but she's no longer mobile. I try to look after her as much as I can, but she needs more care than I'm able to give. She has two carers who come in four times a day and they are wonderful. Just because I eat the same food and haven't left the valley, it doesn't mean that I don't like to know what's going on in the world. I listen to a Welsh radio station every night to keep me updated. I'm always interested in local farming stories and new developments happening in the area. If I could go anywhere, it would be to the Great Wall of China. The amount of work that went into building it is unbelievable. I've been a stonemason. I understand the ingenuity involved. If someone offered me two million pounds to move, I would tell them to keep it. Most evenings, I walk right up to the top of the valley. I look down and everything looks small and far away. And I feel like I'm on top of the world. Ah, oh, that is nice, isn't a it? lovely story, isn't that just divine? And I think that is the secret of a happy life, not to always be looking for something else, to be really happy in your skin, really? in the place where you were born. That man is very content. I, Ooh, on the yeah. other hand, could not live on a diet of fish and big onions, two things. <laughs> Two things that hear? I do not enjoy. Well, you can one try the, the cheese and the bread with and the, the biscuits. jam and the biscuits. <laughs> yeah. you, could, you could try that. Be all right with that. <laughs> now you should really always be very careful if uh, you write an article for a magazine because you're bound to offend somebody. And here's a Forbes removes an article describing Limerick as Stab City. Did you know that Limerick was called Stab City? No, I did not. Like Derry Stroke City and there's lots of other Yeah, like Stab Stab City. City. Limerick? I have never heard that. Forbes magazine has removed an online article which described Limerick as Stab City in a reference to knife crime. The description which featured in an article on the CEO of software firm Stipe Patrick Collison was branded disgraceful by a local TD. The headline of the article referring to Patrick and his brother Stipe co-founder Michael Collison read 
How two brothers escaped Stab City and made $11 billion. In the article by Stephen McBride, Limerick was described as the murder capital of Europe, prompting criticism of the labels. I know, that's Belfast. (laughs) Feuds between crime gangs in the city in recent decades has led to the use of Stab City as a derogatory nickname for Limerick. But local Fine Gael TD Kieran O'Donnell has said its use in the article was an insult to our city. Following his demand for a retraction, Forbes Chief Communications Officer Matthew Hutchison said the article by a contributor failed to meet our editorial standards and was removed from our site shortly after it was published. And further to that story, the Forbes editor is to visit Limerick. The chief uh, content editor of Forbes magazine has promised to visit Limerick after an article referring to the city as the murder capital of Europe and Stab City. The article which branded the city a war zone in a profile of successful Limerick businessmen Patrick and John Cullison was later removed after the magazine said it failed to meet publication standards. Mayor of Limerick, Michael Collins, wrote to Forbes editor Randall Lane to express his concerns. And in his response, Mr Lane said he would visit Limerick and host a Forbes 30 Under 30 gathering to celebrate young entrepreneurs. Wow. So there you go. There was maybe something good came out of that. Yeah. I had the foggiest idea that Limerick was called Stabs. No, I very much doubt it was one of the most dangerous places in like, Europe. That's, that's two rich <laughs> boys trying to make their background look really impoverished and miserable. But another suggestion here, which is to do with a newspaper, suggestion to rename newspaper The Kerry People is Balderdash. A suggestion that the Kerry Man newspaper be renamed (laughs) The Kerry People has been described as Balderdash with independent TD Michael Healy Ray, hoping that manholes will soon be called (laughs) personholes. Ailes, Josepha Madigan has called for an end to gender titles such as chairman and spokesman and suggests that the Kerry paper title be changed also. But Mr Healy Ray said he wouldn't agree with the suggestion and that this was really political correctness gone mad. The Kerry TD said Miss Madigan is a dedicated and very sincere politician, but that there were bigger issues to worry about. He told News Talk the CEO of the Kerry Man newspaper is a lady who has come out herself publicly and said as a woman and as the boss of the Kerry Man newspaper that she's absolutely no problem with it being called the Kerry Man newspaper. So some people go on with this political correctness in the hope of it being seen as popular amongst people, in particular women, because they might be offended. Siobhan Murphy, general manager of the Kerry Band, said the content of the newspaper had changed with the times, but that there was no need to change the title, which was their brand and had been since 1904. (laughs) And I got to agree with that. I mean, that is, yes, gone gone mad, isn't it, really? But... uh, Going to the small bit, Belfast Street is very Instagrammable. Oh, I, I know what street this is going to be. Do Go you? Do I you? do. I've seen it on Instagram a hundred times. A tree-lined avenue in South Belfast has been named the most Instagrammable street in Northern Ireland, and it's not no, your street. That's not the street I was thinking of. I was thinking of the wee alleyway that has all the umbrellas in it. Elmwood Avenue near Queen's University was found to have the highest number of Instagram hashtags. In second place in the survey by direct to uh, florist was Commercial Court in Belfast City Centre, a hot spot for thanks uh, to its cobbles and the popular Duke of York Yeah, bar. that's the one with the umbrellas. Okay, third position went to, any guesses? Oh, no, is it going to be... Um, down, down in the mains? Down, Belfast? No. 
Joy's Entry, oh, which connects Ann yeah. Street to High Street in the uh -huh. city centre and is also home to several pubs. There's a, there's a theme Same. going through mm -hmm. this, can't you see, here in Northern Ireland. Oh. Key Street in Bangor County Down, which runs near the marina and is near several well-known restaurants for a change, not pubs, in the seaside town ranked fourth in the survey. Simon Sterling of Direct to Flora said, with City Breaks becoming a bigger focus this year, we wanted to pull together a handy guide of the most beautiful streets to visit post-lockdown, and we did so through Instagram, on the logic that the more hashtags for the street, the more photogenic and more beautiful it oh, was. Oh, that's very clever. That's some very clever marketing yeah. going on there. Yeah, uh -huh. got to well, admire that. Thinking. I'm not sure. Elmwood Avenue, yes. I'm not, not sure, sure about, about Elmwood, the... though. Ah, nice. well, maybe it's because it's down the street. Queens. Queens and, and, yeah. It's nice. I'm not sure about the other things. Though. I'm not sure. Well, I'd, uh, definitely. Commercial there. Court takes a lovely picture. Mm. They've got these um, sort of wireframe umbrellas that are hung up um, at the top and they line the whole of the little entry that it is. Mm -hmm. So when it's nighttime and the lights oh, are on, on the umbrellas, it's, oh, it is very Instagrammable. There you go. If you're coming to Belfast now, you know some places to go visit. So you mentioned that uh, it's not the weather for a dip in the sea. It's, Although, mad. when I was down uh, in Glen Arm last weekend, I could see lots of people swimming in the sea and paddling and wee kids um, in the sea. And it must be freezing. freezing, absolutely freezing. But this article from the Southside Advertiser um, talks about open water swimming, the growing trend from 2021. A leading trend that has arisen from lockdown is open water swimming. For many, swimming in the ocean is reserved only for far-flung locations, and rightly so, where the water is more akin to a bath than a glass of icy water. However, swimmers are flocking in their thousands to beaches around Northern Ireland to make the most of our coastal waters. Indeed, the benefits of wild swimming and are manifold and partaking can have a long-lasting positive impact on your health. The majority of the benefits associated with open swimming are based on the cold temperature of the water itself, something that those in Northern Ireland are quite familiar with. The cold water, often found in the oceans, is proven to stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system, which promotes a sense of relaxation and can deliver a better night's sleep, as well as reducing muscle fatigue. While it might be a nightmare for some, mm -hmm, <laughs> submersing your body in the cold water forces the brain to release certain endorphins, which has been shown to boost the mood and increase general happiness. Another consequence of the cold temperatures is the positive impact that it can have on one's metabolism. The cold water forces your body to work harder to keep warm, which in turn increases the calories that you burn. As the temperature of the water decreases, the amount of energy that your body to will burn to stabilise the core temperature increases, thus accelerating your metabolism. For those seeking the secret to naturally useful skin, open water swimming could be for you. No, I think oil of ule is for me. <laughs> uh, the cold water is known to exfoliate the skin, removing impurities and smoothing out blemishes. Alongside aesthetic benefits, spending one hour in the cold water can shock your immune system and help produce more white blood cells as well as antioxidants oxidants, leaving your body better able to combat illness. And finally, wild swimming is good for promoting better circulation. The cold water forces our body to rush blood to our organs in order to retain a core temperature, making the heart work harder as more blood needs to be circulated. The increased blood flow through your capillaries, arteries and veins promotes good health and enables the body to both better fight infection and repair damage. So 
What are you convinced? Is that well? There's enough people down our way go in and do it, but uh-huh. I think those that that white blood cells. That's not white blood cells. That's icy crystals that's <laughs> forming in your blood. You could is. be right. That is what it is. Also from the Southside advertiser, then was this article that that I like. Can wildlife feel happy? What do you reckon? Can wildlife feel happy? Hmm, no, that's a question. I don't know, I'd have to think about that one. Well, before trying to answer this profound question, the writer here wants to talk about whiffling. Hmm. No doubt birders and other nature experts know what whiffling is, but this writer only learned about it recently in Mark Cogger's excellent book, Crow Country, which is mainly about rooks. And if you don't think that rooks are interesting, you should get that book. And he says, by the way, I don't get a cut of the royalties. Whiffling describes how a small number of bird species alter their method of flying as they descend to land by zigzagging, side-slipping, and even turning upside down for a split second, falling like a leaf before resuming normal flight. It's limited mainly to some geese and ducks, as well as rooks, as they descend on overnight roosts, and a few waders, and most experts seem to think it's used to avoid or confuse avian predators, such as peregrine falcons, even wildfowlers' shotguns. The picture that I am showing mum here. Yes, they're flying upside down. It legs, shows yeah. geese whiffling and they're upside down with yep, their legs and there yeah. are and there are lots of online videos that show the same thing. Anthropomorphism is a word for attributing human emotions and traits to non-human entities including wildlife and has a long history dating back to prehistory. Many nature scientists Warn against it because it can obscure the fact that wild creatures are not like us and have attributes and abilities almost beyond our imagination. We can't fly. An eagle's eyesight is hugely more effective than ours. A wolf's sense of smell is about a hundred times greater than ours and so on. I tend to agree with these scientists, but... From my own observation, I think that wild creatures can and do show signs of happiness and other emotions. Are my house sparrows expressing happiness in the evenings when they twitter in the privet hedge roost? Likewise, the wood pigeons sitting apparently content in a bird bath for all the work like a toddler in a garden pool. And when I see videos of geese whiffling, I can't not think that they're doing it simply because they can. A demonstration of joy and happiness in their aerial ability. Well, there are more things in heaven and earth. That could be. And maybe Queen's University and the bit I'm going to read next would agree with you. <laughs> On the same sort of idea here, and quite coincidentally... Dairy cows' emotional well-being affected by livestock lockdown. Hmm, livestock lockdown has been likened to human experiences during the pandemic and may be damaging dairy cows' emotional well-being, Queen's University of (laughs) Belfast scientists have said. I worked for Queen's University for 41 years on the royal site And I don't think I was ever engaged in any research like that. They have nothing better to do, I think. But anyway, researchers say they hope their findings, published in the Natural Journal of Scientific Reports, encourages farmers, retailers, government and consumers that pasture access is important for cow welfare and should be protected. The study led by QUB, in cooperation with the Agri-Food and Biosciences Institute, is the first of its kind and examines whether negative moods in humans 
linked to pessimistic judgments about ambiguous stimuli <laughs> are also seen in cattle. Oh yeah, every dairy cow I know is running around saying, oh, I'm in such a pessimistic judgment mood, my ambiguous stimuli is suffering. <laughs> With humans, depression and anxiety sufferers tend to expect fewer positive outcomes in life with happy emotions and moods are linked to more optimistic judgments. Dr. Gareth Arnott said until now the effects of pasture access on dairy cows' psychological well-being have been poorly understood. 29 Holston Frisian dairy cows were given 18 days of overnight pasture access and 18 days of full-time indoor housing and trained to approach a food-rewarded bucket location rather than an unrewarded bucket location. Cows kept indoors full-time were faster to approach the known rewarded bucket location, which researchers say suggests that an animal has fewer rewards in its life leading to a conclusion pasture is a more rewarding environment for dairy cows. <laughs> Britain and Ireland have mostly registered the trend towards housing dairy cows indoors full-time. Researcher Andrew Crump said, We hope that our research encourages farmers, retailers, government and consumers that pasture access is important for cow welfare and it should be protected. There you I, go. I know I'd be asking my butcher about whether his cows have what is it suffered ambiguous their pessimistic judgments. The the about, cows in my butcher should have pessimistic judgments about uh, ambiguous ambiguous stimuli and whether they get a reward bucket or not. <laughs> I'd like a reward bucket. <laughs> I think your butcher would give you a bucket over the head <laughs> if he even suggested it. <laughs> Now, Amy, I know you're a big fan of uh, Line of Duty. I am a world. huge fan of Line of Duty. I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan. In fact, I haven't watched any of it. But uh, knitted character figures are auctioned. So last week we had a, a knitter who was knitting for the charity RNIB, and this week we've got one who is doing Line of Duty fans who can't bear to part with their favourite characters after Sunday's finale could be in with a chance of taking them home forever in a charity auction. Perfectly rendered woollen figures of main characters D.I. Kate Fleming, D.I. Steve Arnott and Superintendent Ten. Ted Higgins have it's been lovingly. Sorry, I have, to, I have to sorry, correct you there. Sorry. It's really important for it fans. Is, it is, it Ted is. Hastings. I beg your pardon. <laughs> I stand corrected. I'm a woolly head. <laughs> have been lovingly created by their mystery county down knitter. Knit on Sticks is a self taught fibre artist from Newcastle who knits intricately fashioned rabbits and character figures as well as socks and sweaters. None of her products are for sale and she usually gifts them to others only for the joy that she knows they will bring. Her line of duty range has won praise from actress Vicky McClure who plays D.I. Fleming who described her mini-me as amazing. During series six, the knitter has been mocking up scenes from the show, including placing the figures in the now famous Belfast city centre subway, where characters meet for private debriefings about the sensitive cases. As the show draws to its dramatic conclusion, she has decided to auction off her creations to raise money for three charities which links to the actors. The sale has already seen a 1,500 bid on the figures. Her humorous introduction to the auction is a pastiche of Line of Duty's famous attention to police procedure detail. She tells the bidders, By order of the Chief Constable, we are instructed to dispose by way of public auction of several artefacts pertaining to the operations of the unravelling AC-12 instigation investigation unit. Operational equipment includes radios, bulletproof jackets and knitting needles have been assigned to other units. Specialised listening and surveillance devices have been recycled. The public can be confident that the central constabulary are best in the business. We no longer need to look for convoluted yarns that are unproven and foisted on the gullible public by these woolly-headed officers. 
Potentially incriminating evidence has been found at the homes of AC-12 officers, together with knitted figures, each bearing a superficial likeness to uh, uh, respectively Superintendent Ted Hastings, DI Kate Fleming and DI Steve Arnott. AC-3 believes that the figures are part of the phenomenon we now know as Mother of God, promoted by the officers to intimidate their colleagues. It is possible the knitted characters are UCOs, as there have been sightings around the city, including an underpass used for clandestine meetings. These figures are sold without warranty and are not toys. <laughs> McClure's doll will see proceeds go to our Dementia Choir, which brought together elderly dementia sufferers for the project she presented for a BBC programme. Her grandmother suffers from Alzheimer's. Sales uh, from the other dolls, Steve Arnott, will raise money for Ardgowan Hospice in Greenock, of which Scottish actor Martin Cumston is a patron, and the Hastings doll will save money go to Cancer Fund for Children, which is associated with Fermanagh native Adrian Dunbar. And the auction ends in eight days. So you can visit that if you put in uh, jumblebee.co.uk UK auction detail if you want to buy some of those figures. What do you I, think of them, Amy? I He's think really good they are brilliant. I am Bar looking at these little wooden or woolen, woolen. Uh, little knitted woolen um, dolls and they are brilliant. You would absolutely recognise them as the characters in the show and they are all standing in in that famous um, tunnel underpass. Un- underpass under the city with all the graffiti on it. It's, it's brilliant. She's done an amazing job. <laughs> so good. They've also produced a, a web map showing all the different locations. I have it. looked at that web map. Yes, I have spent time. But, you know, the show is filmed. It's all filmed in Northern Ireland. And it's one of those shows where my husband and me will sit down the stairs and we'll, we'll pause We'll pause the TV as we watch it and try and figure out where they are each time. So, <laughs> well, have you yeah, found out? I Did have, you know the places? I've Did you guess? Well, uh, there was one I didn't realise. Um, that was a, a reservoir that they they yep. used outside Carrick yep. Fergus, near Ballymure, near Larne, yep. and they also used the Seacourt Estate in Larne. Yeah, as well. I know they, they used, used Seacourt. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And they used the Euro car park in Donegal Street. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Fantastic, isn't it? The Cape oh, Road. It's brilliant. It, it's so, I'm so like pleased when they film it here. It's, it's, it's a good huge. guessing game. It's a good guessing game, but it's really important for Northern Ireland as well. It's just brilliant. Well, that's, that's what they're here. hoping, that it's going to be uh, a bit like the Game of Thrones. Yeah, that people I, will come and visit. it will attract people to come and visit those different, really iconic places, mm-hmm. like the, the Central Library where uh, yeah. is headquarters that I can imagine tourists coming and posing mm-hmm. outside Central Library. Well, it depends too. on whether they get line of duty or not. Oh yeah, in those countries. Uh, well, uh, across the UK, yeah. yeah, people do, and they they love it. Yeah, and oh, I'm gonna be heartbroken if we're recording this on the Thursday. The show finishes on Sunday night, and I will be heartbroken if Ted Hastings. Uh, doesn't make it through if he bites the dust. I have told my boss I'll need a bereavement day. (laughs) So we did the story earlier about the rabbit being stolen. Mum has lost the uh, follow-up to that story. I'll bring it the next time. We will do it in uh, June. Um, But if you are very concerned about all these dog thefts that are going on, and lots of people are, and you know, people that I know are really worried about their dogs being stolen. The BBC News Beat, um, part of the website, published the, some simple tips to stop your puppy being pinched. It's impossible to scroll on Instagram for more than a minute at the moment without seeing someone's brand new puppy. Not everyone had a partner to lock down with and what? And after a while, stuck indoors, demand for pet dogs increased hugely. Lots of people wanted a companion. But between pictures of pub garden meetups and memes, you also tend to see a lot of panicked posts from people who have had their dog stolen. 
it's estimated that dog thefts had risen by 250% since the pandemic began. From Snapchat stories to ID tags, there are some simple tips to keep your puppy as safe as possible. Identification and microchipping. It's a legal requirement to have your dog microchipped. It means if your dog were to go missing, the microchip contains your details so that it can be traced back to you. As well as the microchip, it's a good idea to have your up-to-date details on the dog's collar so you can be easily contacted. But according to the charity Blue Cross for Dogs, it can be a bad idea to have the name of your dog on its collar. I never thought of this, but that can make it easy for potential thieves to lure the dog away by calling its name. When you get a cute new dog, the most tempting thing to do can be posting it all over your Instagram and Snapchat stories. But when it's alongside information that shows where you live, work or spend a lot of time, this can make you a prime target for dog thieves. Police have previously warned against sharing too much information about new pets online, as well as tagging specific locations in your posts. However, it is good to keep some recent pictures of your dog in your phone, as having some accurate snaps could help you track it down if it was to go missing. Having a dog is a sociable thing. Often on dog walks, people will stop and ask you about your pet, but according to Blue Cross for Dogs, you should look out for anyone asking too many questions. When you need to pop into a shop, the charity strongly advises against ever leaving your dog tied up outside or in the car alone. Both of these places can be seen as opportunities for people looking to steal a dog. When you're at home, the best advice is to keep your dog in sight when it's in the garden and keep any gates locked. Keep it in safe hands. Now that things are beginning to reopen, you might realise you have less time for walking your dog than you planned. If that's the case and you're looking to arrange a dog walker, there are some important things to note. Dog walking is a really un unregulated area of work and a lot of the time it's people in local Facebook groups offering to help out for some pocket money. RSPCA dog welfare expert Dr. Sam Gaines says walkers are currently unregulated and unlicensed, meaning there are no checks on who these people are and how they ensure the needs of the dogs in their care are being met. The charity says you need to make sure your chosen dog walker has done all the right paperwork. They should have adequate third-party insurance and a license if it's required in your area. Yep. There's dogs going missing just all the time. Mm -hmm. I just... saw a post on Nextdoor just mm -hmm. this morning about someone's dog mm -hmm. being stolen. Mm -hmm. Really heartbreaking if you love a dog and it's part of your family and bang, it's gone. And you just don't know what's happened to you. It's horrible. Okay, Amy, uh, are you ready to tackle this quiz then? I am ready, feeling very optimistic. Uh, okay. like a Like a cow with a reward bucket. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no rewards for you except no. a pat on the back. Okay, this is the quiz for me. What is the alternative name for May Day? Is it A. Beltane, B. Sawin, or C. Lunasa? Right, well, I can rule out Sawin because that's Halloween. Um, so that leaves Lunasa and what was the first one? Beltane. Beltane. And I'm, I am going to guess uh, Lunasa just because of the play dancing at Lunasa. Wrong guess. Oh. The answer is A. It's Beltane. It's the old Gallic May Day festival held halfway between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. Historically, it was a festival widely observed throughout Ireland, Scotland and Wales, as well as the Isle of Man. It is one of the four uh, Gaelic festivals, along with Samhain, Imolc and Lunasa. Samhain being the end of the harvest season, which is Halloween, 31st of October to the 1st of November, Imolc, St Bridget's Day, 
which is February the 1st, marking the beginning of spring, and Lunasa is held on, or Lunasa is held on August the 1st to mark the start of harvest, which is also known as Lamas, hence the old Lamas Fair at Ballycastle. Okay? Okay. Try again. Okay. Which famous horse race is held in May? Is it A, Royal Ascot, B, the Kentucky Derby, or C, the Dubai World Cup? Oh, I have no idea. I feel like uh, Ascot is a little bit later in the year, but I know nothing about Kentucky or Dubai. Um, I'm going to guess Kentucky. Yes. Yay. The answer is B. The Kentucky Derby is held in May, and this year it was held on Saturday, May the 1st, at Louisville, USA, while Royal Ascot will take place this year between Tuesday the 15th of June to Saturday the 19th of June, and the Dubai World Cup took place earlier this year on the 27th of March, where the winning horse was Mystic Guide, whose jockey received $7.2 million, oh, wow. and tickets to attend that ran from $995, which is the cheapest, up to $3,985 per person. And yeah, don't turn up in your jeans there, I no. can tell you. <laughs> okay. In Old English, May was called what? The month of Maya, the month of three milkings, the month of the lily. Mm, how do you spell Maya? M-A-I-A. -A. Uh, three milkings? You could have three milkings a day, I suppose, maybe because the weather's good. Um, lilies? My lilies don't come out until later in the season. So I'm going to... Plump with the first one, May, Maya, Maya. No, you should have stuck with B, the month of three milkings. Three milkings. Your uh, rationale was right. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Answers B, in Old English, May was called the month of three milkings, referring to a time when the cows could be milked three times throughout the day. Maya was a Greek goddess of fertility for whom they did name the month of May. And the Romans had a similar fertility goddess named Bonabia with a festival in May. And Lily of the Valley is the official flower of May. And it's said to represent the tears of Mary, the mother of Jesus, as she watched her son being crucified. But the Old English uh, for May is month of three milkings. Okay? Mm-hmm. May is considered a bad and unlucky month to do what? Uh, a, plant roses, B, apply for a new job, or C, get married. Oh, goodness, right. Uh, because it's my wedding anniversary in May, I, I'm going to go with that. It's a bad month to get married. Is that a reflection on your marriage? <laughs> <laughs> no, Adrian, hear that? It's a reflection on how you choose quiz questions. <laughs> it is actually correct. Uh -huh. I was also answered, uh, married in May. The answer is C. May is considered the most unlucky month to get married, and an old saying goes, "Marry in May, and you'll rue the day." This superstition can be dated back to Roman times, as May was the month when they held their festival of the dead. And of course, you wouldn't want to get married during the month of the festival of the dead. Well, what famous piece was recovered on May the 7th, 1994? A, a diamond bracelet from the Titanic. B, the Gibson Stradivarius. Or C, the Scream by Edvard Munch. Oh. I don't think it's something from the Titanic. I don't know why I don't think it's the Titanic. Um, it could be the violin, but I'm going to go with the scream. Good guess. Right again. Answer C. The famous picture named The Scream by Edward Monk 
was recovered in May 1994, three months after it was stolen from a museum in Oslo. Monk said the painting was inspired as a result of anxiety and fear that he felt while walking with his friends. The setting sun seemed to engulf the sky in flames and in fact the scary red sky was caused by a volcanic eruption on the island of Krakatoa causing vivid twilights in Europe from November 1883 to February 1884. Now, the excavation team did recover a diamond bracelet bearing the name Amy in September the 1st in 1987 and they found out there were two women named Amy on the Titanic but one of those was a crew member so obviously they didn't know must have been the other one and the Gibson Stradivarius was stolen twice once in 1919 when it was recovered and then again in 1938 and the owner was never to see the violin again however on his death bed a jobbing musician admitted to his wife that he had stolen it and I think this is unfair because in 1985 she handed it over to Lloyds who gave her a finder's fee of $263,000 and it was sold on by Lloyds and eventually bought by Joshua Bell for a mere $4 million. Wow. I don't think that's very fair. I, I mean, don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah. The I mean, proceeds of stolen goods. Yeah, because after all, there's bound to be some relatives of the man who owned the Gibson Stradivarius mm-hmm. alive. Ne- Gibson? Great nephews, great nieces. Yeah. You know, there's bound to have been somebody. And surely it should have been returned to stolen property to yeah. the family. Yeah. So I don't I don't think she should have got that I think she was a bad Bridget. She was a bad Bridget. Well, she's £263,000 dollar off as a bad Bridget. Like all the rest of the bad <laughs> Bridgets. I'm going to take the crime. There's no other word for it. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening to our May edition. I hope you find it interesting and varied and informative. And now you know how to keep your pets safe. And now you know not to go wild swimming. And how to make your your cows happy. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and, and the meal that is the key to a long and happy life. Exactly. Fish and onions. <laughs> and an So that's goodbye from me, Florence. And it's goodbye from me, Amy. We will speak to you again in June. Goodbye.